0: So we're gonna be in Genesis today. Uh, Genesis 15 is where we'll start. I kind of want to just give a little bit of a recap of where we've come. Uh, what we're doing is we're in a series called Renovation. Uh, we're going through um, the fruit of the Spirit that's that's there in Galatians. Um, and we know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and, and on we go. Uh, What we've decided to do is we went to the Old Testament to find characters who exemplify these uh, qualities that the Spirit uh, wants to, uh, you know, create in us, bring out in us. And uh, so we went back there just to to be encouraged by them, to look at their lives, how they, you know, uh, did in these these areas, uh, and to learn from them. And so we went to Daniel Uh, That's where we started. We went to Daniel and just looked at how to be good, you know, his goodness. And remember, uh, they looked for something wrong with Daniel so that they could point it out to the king and get rid of Daniel. And they could not find anything uh, wrong with Daniel. They had to create, you know, something uh, that they could uh, bring judgment upon him. And it was just that he, you know, was so good that when. When they were told that you, gotta, you can't worship anything besides you know, this, this image, um, he wasn't going to do that. He was going to continue to pray to his God and he ends up getting thrown in the lion's den. But the, the, uh, the story, the lesson from that is that God will honor us if we exemplify goodness. And so we should want to strive to be like Daniel. We should want to have this goodness in us because God will bless us. And God blesses not just us. He blesses the people around us because what did God do? He changed the heart of that king and the people around him uh, just because of Daniel's goodness. And it's just amazing how God works in that. And we looked at Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and just looked at their kindness and how... Uh, the big thing we took away from that is that you reap what you sow, and especially when it comes to kindness. You're you're kind to people, and kindness comes back to you, and that's what we saw throughout that story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Um, and then we looked at Joseph and just the journey of peace, and how Joseph had this crazy roller coaster life, and a lot of times he found himself in the valleys, and yet there's this even kill about this guy. I mean, he he 's up and down, but even when he 's in the valleys, he just seems to have peace in his life when he 's up on the you know up on the on the mountain, he seems to have peace in his life It just seems like peace is his middle name right um, and it 's because he believed in the sovereignty of God and, and that God gave him this dream as a child, and he just believed that that was God was going to fulfill that in his life. And so anytime he was in, even in the valley, he just knew that God was going to work and God was going to bring him up out of that. Uh, and God did. And we can have that same kind of peace. You know, we have this Holy Spirit in us that is wanting to encourage us and to remind us what? That when you're in the valley, you have a God that can bring you up out of that and give you this hope Uh, So we live in hope no matter where we're at in life, no matter what's come into our life. And because of that, we can have peace no matter what is going on in our life. Um, And so we talked about Joseph, and last week we talked about Job and how he is just a great example of patience, right? The patience of Job, as it tells us in James and the thing about that I learned about that when studying through uh, patience with Job is that patience doesn't mean that you just have to take it with a smile. Because obviously Job didn't take it with a smile. He had a lot of, uh, I don't know, anger in him. He had a lot of emotion in him, right? And he had a lot of complaints in him. He complained to God pretty good. Um, and And so... Patience isn't you know just just taking it and holding it within sometimes it's okay to let God know I'm completely confused by this. I don 't understand why this is happening to me uh, i don't like this i don't I don't know why you're letting this, you know that kind of thing, but the thing about patience is it 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 stays its ground right job didn't leave anywhere. His wife was telling him, why don 't you just curse God and die' You know, he was, she was trying to encourage him, just throw in the towel, but that's not what patience does. Patience is, it just continues to trust, even though you don't understand, even though you have these anger issues inside, and you, you have a lot of complaints uh, towards God. Um, it is staying true to, to just hanging in there, and that's what Job did. And again, that is rewarded, right? All of these have their rewards, and so the Holy Spirit is trying to develop all these qualities in us. Goodness, and kindness, and and peace, and uh, patience, and they all have the rewards. So we should all want to just let the Holy Spirit work in our lives to bring these out, to teach us how to have these qualities. Today we are going to look at faithfulness. So uh, our title is "Renew within me a steadfast spirit," and we have this image that we've been carrying along through these, and it's of this lighthouse, right? And and really, this is the Holy Spirit wants to create in us uh, such a strong uh, uh, spirit, a person that no matter what the world comes—I mean, no matter what kind of storm or wave that comes beating against us—that we would be able to withstand anything right? And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. He's going to develop these love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these qualities to us that would make us like this lighthouse to be able to withstand anything. So it's creating us a steadfast spirit, something that can withstand. And so today we're going to look at renew within me a steadfast faithfulness. Uh, I bet you could probably imagine if we're going to talk about faithfulness and faith, who would we be looking at? We're going to look at Abraham. He's the father of faith, right? And kind of what we know him for. Uh, I'm gonna. There's so many places we could go as we have this conversation about Abraham, uh, but I'm gonna take us to Genesis 15, and we're just gonna read through one through 11 as we begin this conversation. So Genesis 15, one through 11 says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the hair of the house of Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you were able to number them, he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he he said, O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the bird in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. You know, as as uh, children, we're, we're constantly encouraged to tell the truth, right? I mean, my dad had one major rule at our house, and that is, do not lie to me. Uh, and that seems to be super important to me as a father now, right? Um, it didn't seem as important to me as a kid, <laughs> but uh, but I learned it as a kid. You know, that that, that was something that God, I mean, that... that that my father wanted, but I also knew that that was something that God wanted too. But we used to have like these sayings when we were kids, right, about these, you know. Uh, uh, things like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Uh, you guys said I'm didn't you? Um, we had these things like that, right? And why did we say that? Because we were trying to convince the other person that I am not, I'm telling you the truth here. We even have things like that as adults, don't we? You know, like... Uh, my word is my bond, you know, my handshake uh, is my bond or something. I, I think uh, I've heard, you know, my word is as good as gold. Have you heard that one? Uh, my word is oak. I just heard that one actually just recently. Um, and I guess, you know, must be oak is really strong uh, is is the only thing I can take from that. But, uh, uh, but we have these sayings that uh, we are trying to convince the other person that our word is good. You can count on what I'm saying. to to be true. Uh, Jesus kind of had his little saying about this as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, this is what Jesus says. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. For I say to you, do, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In other words, they, they must have had all of their sayings too. I swear to you, by Jerusalem. I swear to you, you know, uh, you know whatever. <laughs> I mean, they had these, these sayings that they had. And, and he goes on, it says, And do not take an oath by your head, for you can, cannot make one hair white or black. Uh, another one we have is I, uh, that I've heard, and we hear it a lot like in movies, I swear on my mother's, yeah, you know that one too, don't you? And so they'd have these sayings and you know, and what Jesus is getting at is, is what's in verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Just keep your word, right? Just do what you say. Anything else than this comes from evil. And it is important, you know, to God that we be people who tell the truth. It's not just as important to my dad. It was important to our father, God, too. It's important to Jesus that that we be people who do what we say we were doing. And we were taught as a kid that this is the way it ought to be. Um, God wants that. But you know what? God is that way, right? When he says something, he's going to do it. He makes these covenants with his people. Uh, when you read through the Old Testament, you see it quite often, uh, where God will have a covenant with someone. Uh, but he, that when we were reading through this passage here in 15, or chapter 15, it, it, we're seeing that there's a covenant fixing to take place here, you know, that's being uh, dealt with. And, and God has these covenants um, that he has with, with Abram. By the way, it says Abram, but he renames Abram to Abraham. Um, it, and most of you probably are aware of that but uh, um, but God makes his covenant with Abraham. Sometimes people mistake covenants with contracts. you know we have contracts today, but contracts are not near have near the depth nor the power nor the substance that a covenant does and so you know like a contract is to, if if I have a contract with Connor here, it's probably because I'm not really sure I can trust Connor, so we're going to have us a contract to make sure he takes care of his end. So it's more of like I'm trying to protect myself from him. Uh, but if we had a covenant, it's more of I'm trying to, I'm making a covenant to make sure that I keep my word. He's having a covenant to make sure he keeps his word. And so we're protecting each other from ourselves, you know. Um, and there's, it's just has so much more depth to it. A marriage, was it, is it a contract or covenant? It's actually both, right? I mean, the state requires you to sign a piece of paper, which is somewhat of a, a contract, and therefore, if you want to uh, do away with that uh, arrangement, you actually have to go through what they call a divorce, right, which rec- rec- it requires lawyers and more paperwork in order for that contract to be null and void and be done away with. But it's for us as believers, we believe that we're entering into a covenant. And because we're entering into this covenant, God wants us to keep our word, our yes, you know, to remember that we're in this for the thicker thin, for, you know, death do us part kind of thing. And so there's just, without getting a whole lot more into it, there, a covenant is a very strong thing to God. God, God is, when God makes a covenant with somebody, he is basically saying, I will do this no matter what. You can count on me for here and until all eternity to keep this covenant that I'm making with you. Um, now, Does covenants get broken between God and him yeah but it's always man who breaks the covenant God never would break a covenant um, that he makes but in the Bible there's a thing that that some people call the cutting of the covenant It's probably a phrase or a word maybe that was even used back in Bible times but it was uh, the cutting a covenant was just like it was a ceremony that was super serious. And what they would do a lot of times, if, if Connor and I, I'm sorry I keep using you, Connor. You're just right there. Uh, but, uh, but if Connor and I were to cut a covenant, we would have to go get you know, a three-year-old heifer. Uh, I'd have to go buy one. You probably have one, maybe. But, uh, but we'd have to go get one somewhere, and we would cut this thing in two, and half of it would be over here and half. That sounds really gross, I know. Or we would have something. We wouldn't necessarily have to be a heifer. We could choose some other animal, a goat, or what. God is—he pretty much covers everything, right? He wants a heifer and a goat and a, you know, a bird and and just all of these animals because that's how serious God is setting up this covenant that He's making. But we would probably have an animal. We cut it in two, and I would walk between these animals declaring to Connor that I'm entering this covenant with you. And then Connor would do his part and walk between these animals. And basically, it would be a ceremony saying that if I don't keep my word, may I be like these dead pieces of these animals. May this happen to me, so to speak. Um, it's kind of like, you know, stick an needle in my eye uh, kind of thing, you know, uh, kind of saying. I mean, it's, it's something that was just super... Serious, um, and they believed that it would literally happen to them if they didn't. And so um, they had this covenant. God is making this covenant with Abraham. I want us to walk through this a little bit here, just this scripture. We're going to look at verses eight and 10. Uh, verse eight it says, "But he said, O God, O Lord God." How am I to know that I shall possess it? He wanted some reassurance here, didn't he? Abraham did. You know, what you're telling me is like good news, but it almost seems too good to be true. How can I know that you're not just messing with me here (laughs) a little bit? I've been wanting a child for all of my life. I'm 75 years old, and you're telling me this? I, can you give me some reassurance? And that's kind of what Abraham has asked for. And this is what God and He said to him: Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And He brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each of them against the other, laid each over against the other. But He did not cut the bird in half. That's really an interesting thing that we'll have to get into maybe. At another time. Um, but, uh, well, we just won't go anywhere. Uh, and in verse 17, look what it says here. It says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoke, a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. What is that? Well, that's representing God, for we have not seen God. Even Moses, when he was up getting the Ten Commandments, didn't get to see God. He saw, like, a shadow, you know, of God, and even then he was affected in a great way, right? Um, But this is representing God walking between these pieces, saying, in a sense, I will keep my covenant with you, Abraham. You can be reassured that what I'm doing here is something that I take very seriously, Verse 18, it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He made a covenant with Abram. And God keeps his promises. There's there's really two super important things that I want us to glean here, and then we're going to move into trying to understand this faithfulness that God wants developed in our lives, and Abraham shows this so well. But but I want you to also, before we do that, I, I want us to see the faithfulness of God, right? Um, your God is such a faithful God. He will keep his word over and over. And that's really what faithfulness is all about, is doing what you say you will do. Your yes being yes, your no being no. But doing what you will say you do, making your word as good as gold, making your word bond. You know. Um, but there's two, two things that's, that's important. Whenever God makes a promise, he always keeps it. Uh, Isaiah 46, like down in verse 11. Actually, if you want to read 8 through 11, that's really cool. But, but he just says here, he says, I have spoken and I, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And that's just God, when he says that he'll do something, he will do it. That's what he declares and that's what we've always witnessed. You know, as we read through the word of God, we just see that God is always true. Man is not, you know, but God is always true. Um, here's another verse that I just really appreciate very much. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Now, who do you think him is? It's Jesus, right? Let's just think about that for a second. For all the promises of God. Is there a few promises that God has made to you? That he's made to mankind? Oh my, yes. I, I, I think, maybe it's Jane, I can't remember. Somebody that i, that I seen some time ago that there's like this book, maybe it's Lori, but there's this book that just like, uh, it's just a book, you open it up and you just get to see one of the promises of God for that day, right? and how many promises he has made to us. Uh, And what he's saying here is, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And we have so many promises. I mean, we have promise of eternal life. That's just crazy. I mean, just let that sink in. Does it not make you think man, God, you're not messing with me, are you? I mean, you really, we really have this eternal life to hope for. And he has made a covenant with you, just like he did with Abraham through Jesus. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment at the end of this. Uh, And that covenant was sealed through baptism. Uh, But he's made a covenant because he wants you to have this reassurance, right? That he's going to keep his promise. Now here's, something that should be very exciting to us, and, and that it was exciting to Abraham. You know, it was exciting to Abraham to think that what, he, what God just promised him, that he, all, I mean, he, all he wanted was an, an heir to pass his stuff down, and it was something really heavy upon his heart. And not only did he get the promise of having an heir, you know, a child, but God took him out and had him look into the sky and said, just count those stars if you think you can, and I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars. Can you just imagine that, that, that his he was just hoping to have an heir, but what he was promised was so much grander, and I just think that that's pretty awesome. But here's how that should excite us as well, and that is that God made that promise with Abraham. We through history, get to see that God made that promise and just continues to multiply that. There's just more stars and more stars that just keep, you know, appearing. Uh, we didn't even know there were that many stars in the sky, did we? Uh, that's pretty amazing in itself, right? I mean, if you ever had night vision goggles, which I had one time, uh, a game warden uh, took me out outside and he had me put these night vision goggles and they were the real expensive kind like the kind the military use, you know um, and he said just look up into the sky I looked up and I was completely blown away there were I mean where you think you see a lot of stars on a clear night or something you're not seeing a fraction of what's there and so all of a sudden I just how is there there's that many stars but I got to see so many more because of just the way that that worked but that's not even seeing all the stars, is it? I mean, we know so much more than what we used to know about galaxies and stuff. And so I don't, I don't know what God meant. I mean, maybe God would be like, well, I didn't mean like the galaxy beyond the galaxy and all of those stars. I was just kind of taking these stars. I don't know how many people are going to be in heaven. But I just think that it's going to probably surprise us that the opportunities, at least, that God wants to give people. Um, But all that I want to point out there is that it should excite us too, not just Abraham, because part of Abraham's promise is our promise. And I want you to think about this for a second. Abraham was 75 years old when we are introduced to him, basically. We really don't know anything much about Abraham before this introduction you know, around Genesis 12 or so. And, uh, and, and yet God gives him this amazing promise. And why? Just think about it for a minute. Was he a great warrior? Warrior? Was he a great warrior? I don't know. I don't think so. Right? Was he a great theologian? What books did he write up until he was 75? I don't think he wrote any books, right? Not that we are aware of. And yet, Abraham is like one of, maybe the greatest character of the Old Testament. I mean, we can argue that. I mean, some people might argue Moses, and of course, there's. Obviously, some appearances of what we think might be Jesus, so I'm not going to throw that. Let's just not throw that in there. Obviously, uh, Abraham's going to have to at least take second place, right? But, um, but he really is. He, he is like one of the greats of the greats, and that's the way the Bible paints him. Like when we go through you know, Hebrews 11, it just seems like he puts a big emphasis on this man Abraham and all the way through the New Testament. He has this big emphasis. Well, what is it about Abraham that made him such a like like why did God why did God see him with special favor? Well, I think the answer, to be honest with you, is in Genesis chapter 12. And I, and this is why I think it excites, should excite us. Because what does it say in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1? It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your Native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And the next verse says, and Abraham went. Right? I mean, what is it that distinguished Abraham as being great? It's, it's his faith. It's that he just believed. It's that he... Moved when God said to move, right? God says, "Pack up everything and and just go to this place that I'll show you." And it's Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't, you know, say, "Well, let's sit down with the the map and and then I'll see if we can make this happen." Right? There wasn't any of this planning. He just was obedient to what God asked him to do. That's what I mean. To me, that's it's exciting because that's all that took. In order to be elevated, in order to be blessed, in order to be used by God, in order to be, you know, have God's favor on your life all of your way through, is you just move when He tells you to move? But in reality, it's, it is, right? It's not that complicated. I mean, there is something that is amazing about. Uh, that comes from our faith when we believe God and we respond in the midst of that belief. Uh, I was just talking about Hebrews, Hebrews 11. Let's look at that in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place where he was to receive an inheritance and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that was Foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promise they believed that god would keep his word they believed that god would do his part and that only thing god requires of me to do my part so if god wants me to move then i'll move and i'll just trust that god will do his part in this and that's all there is god says move and he moved and i just think that that's that is worth considering today right as we talk about faithfulness is just we just respond to God we we just act upon what we believe that God is wanting us to do here's a pretty awesome verse in 2nd chronicles 16:9 it says this for the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. And and this is some judgment talk going into this, but but the cool part of the verse is just to remind us that God is looking. His eyes are just running to and fro. What is he looking for? People that just have a heart like Abraham. That's all he's looking for is this people that will be willing to just step out on faith and just be willing to just do what he has asked them to do in the midst of things. And so all God wants to know is, is that do you trust him enough to let him work in your life? Do, will you let him like lead you? Where he wants to take you, instead of where you're wanting to go. Will will you let him, you know, remake you, rework you? Like, we're right in this thing, right here is where we are, and we're calling it renovation, right? And if if we're going to not just renovate our building, which we are in the process of doing some of that stuff, but if we're not just going to be focused on that, but if we're focused on letting God renovate us, this inner person, then we know that part of that renovation is going to be wanting to strengthen our faith, to make us faithful people, for us to develop this faithfulness in us. And what is it? What is faithfulness, anyway, to you? I mean, that's our word, right? It's faithfulness. The Holy Spirit wants to, to strengthen and, and produce in us faithfulness. What is that? You know, faithfulness, huh? That's, that's like something that doesn't just happen once. It's something that happens once, but then it continues, and, and it continues, and it continues. It's, it's for, for the long haul. It's, it's a continued yieldness of sorts. I can't help but, when I think about faithfulness, I can't help but think about, like, clay, you know clay's meant to be molded right i mean that's why we create it we create clay so that we can mold it and shape it into a particular item whatever that be who's who who's it up to what is what clay is molded into it's up to the potter right the one who is in charge of the clay and sometimes i think we know we know in here that God is the the potter and we're the clay, but sometimes I think we get it backwards in reality, and we want to be the, the potter. We want God to be the clay, and we want to try to mold and shape him into something that we like and something that fits our life, but that's never going to happen. God is never going to, you know, relinquish that title. He is always going to be the potter we're always going to be the clay and he's always going to use us no matter what we decide to do today or tomorrow or any other thing he is going to use us the way that he wants to use us now how he uses us like like the potter he he gets this clay and and i think sometimes i don't know anything about this okay so i'm just going to kind of make this up a little bit but i'm thinking that if you got if you got clay if you're a really good potter, you probably know like this clay is not worthy to be like this magnificent vessel, right? It's, it's the substance or something doesn't feel right to the potter. I don't know how he makes these decisions, but he's like, I'm just going to make just a flower pot of this or a, a, a spit tune out of this or I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do, but he decides what he's going to do with it. Do You know the Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 9, and, and I'm not going to get real deep into this, but I just want to read a little bit to you. And Romans chapter 9, he says, when, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and the other to throw garbage into? This is the New Living Translation, by the way. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger in his power, he He is very patient with those whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy and, and were prepared in advance for glory. And, and like I said, I don't want to get real deep because that's this this chapter in Romans is a pretty deep chapter for sure. But the, the only thing I want to bring out of that is that God is the molder. He is the potter. We're the clay. What you become has a lot to do with your consistency, right? Has a lot to do with with whether you're going to be a person who yields to God or not. If you are a stubborn piece of clay, I'm pretty sure that you you're not going to be made into anything pretty spectacular. He'll still use you though. Do you know that in the midst of this chapter 9 he's talking about Pharaoh, I mean he talks about other things too, but one of the things he talks about is Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't make a very good pot, I'm just saying. But God still used him, didn't he? Because God's going to just use all of us how he wants to. I don't know about you, but man, I want to strive for something like Abraham instead of like something like Pharaoh. And I know it has a lot to do with my willingness to let God make me into what he wants to make me. So, with that in mind, I want you to go to Genesis. Chapter 11 real quick, because I just wanted you to see something here that I thought was really interesting. Because Genesis chapter 12 is like where, where God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to pack up your tents and I want you to go to a country that I'm going to show you. And what does Abraham do? Not earth shattering. He just says, okay, I'll do it. And he does it. And that's called faith, right? I find it interesting because right in chapter 11... And we're just going to read the first four verses, but I want you to see what leads up to that passage about Abraham. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Sinar and settled there. And they s- said to one another, Come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen, whatever that word is, Uh, for mortal mortar and then they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves now this verse four is what we're really going to focus on here so i want you to really pay attention come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops of the heaven and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth there's three things that I just want you to see parallel in this with Abraham for just a second here, okay, right? And, and the first one is is that Abraham would put his trust in, in God to, to guide him. He wasn't trying to come up with his own plan. You know. He wasn't trying to devise you know, his own scheme about how he was going to use his life. He let God have that input in his life, and he just was, he just yielded himself to God's guidance for his life. You parallel that with verse four. What is it that they were up to? They were up to, let's build it, let, come, let us come together, let us build a tower, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. In other words, they were just going to. Uh, rely upon their own human devices instead of upon God's guidance. There's just a difference here, right? In behavior. And there's a difference in the way that God's going to handle those different types of hearts. Here's another thing that I see here. The the builders sought to make a name for themselves. Abraham let God make a name for him. And there's a difference here. And I hope you see it, because you know, like he left it up to God to use him how he wanted to use him. God, if you want to make me this, this little pot here, that's fine. If you want to make me this big old pot here, then so be it. If you want to make me into this gigantic, glorious thing, then so be it. But he left it up to God to make him into what he wanted him to do. These people were, were leaving it up to them. Let us make a name for ourselves. It is so tempting to go through this world, right, to have this mindset that it's up to me to make a name for myself instead of leaving it up to God to make a name for you and to use you the way that he wants you to. Here's another thing that I see here, right? And Abraham was willing to go wherever God led him while the builders weren't willing to go wherever, right? I mean, that's the last part of that little verse. Is like, let's huddle together here. Let's try to protect what we got here. There's just a sense of safety that God was not interested in. And when you are putting your faith out there, one thing that God is going to do is he's going to challenge that safety. Like he's, he's going to probably test whether you are going to try to huddle up and just handle this all on your own, or whether you're going to step out on faith and just to see if God is going to be there for you. Abraham had this promise, and he was like, how, how is it that I know that you're going to do this, God? And God made this covenant with him, right? This, this uh, spiritual promise that has some depth to it. And Abraham believed it. And then he just stepped out on faith. Didn't know how it was going to come out or anything, but he just stepped out on faith and did it. Not that that wasn't challenged. I'm not saying that. It's, but Abraham had so many of these opportunities with his son Isaac, you know, when he took him up on the mountain. And just and it's not like he... It's a perfect picture But it's a a good picture of genuine trust, genuine faith in his God. And he was faithful all the way through. Abraham was. Faithfulness has so much to do with moving to the tune of God's drumbeat and not moving to the tune of ours, right? That's what it is. It's just trying to listen to what God wants you to do. God, where is it you want me to go? What is it you want me to be? What is it you want me to step out on in faith? Faith is when you trust God. That's what faith is. God says something, you do it. right? But faithfulness, that is when you continue to trust God. It's just a continuation of that. It, It takes faith to believe God for a day, but it takes faithfulness to believe God for a lifetime. It's, it's just an ongoing thing, believing that God is, is going to be there every time. And it's just, I am just continue to be faithful. Most of you have this down pretty well, I think, because you are here all the time, right? And I know sometimes you got like these crazy valleys that you end up in because of life and things that have happened, but guess what? You, you still, you come and you sit in the midst of that. And sometimes you have really glorious things that happen, you know, and it just seems like prosperity. But you don't just forget God in the midst of prosperity either. You come and you're here. And that's just a sign of faithfulness is what that is. Giving God what he deserves. And let me just tell you something, God blesses that. Just as he took Abraham out and he had him look up into the skies and he says, look at those stars. You think, I am going to bless you bless you so much, you're not even going to be able to count them. And I'm just telling you that he has given us similar promises as well. I mean, he's He's promised us Jesus and eternal life, but I'm just telling you, I have a hard time keeping track of my blessings. I really do. They say you're supposed to name them one by one, but I don't know. That is really hard to do. And And I remember times that I think, man, I should have a book, a book of blessings. Like, I should literally write them down when they happen. Because we have such short-term memories. And sometimes, you know, things will pop up and like, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me. You know, oh, yeah, I forgot that worked out just fine. Let me tell you, you don't have to worry about that because I had a situation like that and it worked out fine. Just know that, you know what I mean? I'm just saying that we sometimes forget them until we... They just kind of stumble upon them, but God has blessed us so much, and it's connected with our faithfulness, and when we continue to be faithful, he is just going to continue to bless us. Here's one last thought I want you to see, because I kind of think that we probably, and you can go to Genesis 17 here for a second, but I kind of tend to think that we aren't much different than Abraham, the good and the, and the, the bad, so to speak, but we want some reassurance, you know, um, and, uh, well, anyway, I, I just think that, like, God has given us all these promises, and some of them have already happened, and we know God is good, but some of the big ones are yet to come, right? Um, and sometimes when we're in the midst of something that's pretty scary, and maybe some, some of us are in the midst of that, you know, stepping out on something that we're just not sure what's around the corner. And we want some reassurance in those situations too. Like, I man, God, if you just let me know that this is going to work out all right, I would do it. I'd just run around the corner. That's what I would do. But it's hard to do that when we're just not sure. And, and, and you know, Abraham, he had this covenant with with God um, back in Genesis uh, 15 that we just read. But in Genesis 17, one of the things that we also see is that there was a sealing of the covenant as well. You know, like this, this circumcision that God had Abraham do as an old man. And then he wanted him to continue to do with with all of his household, with all of his, his male household, with all of his male servants, and anybody, if, if from any point in time that he brings somebody else new in the household, like a, gets a new son-in-law or something, I don't know, but, I mean, anything that happens, they were to be circumcised. And what's interesting here to me, and I have a Bible I picked up off my desk because I left mine at home, And so I have this stuff marked, so I may have to look for it for a second here. Uh, Down in verse 14. So all the way through, he's just talking about this covenant that that God has with Abraham and that he's going to keep his side of the covenant, and and God just expects Abraham to keep his side of the covenant, and and everything is going to be great, right? But now in verse 14, he says, Any uncircumcised male, and so he's telling him, you know, like, everybody has to be circumcised. There's, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about this. It's, it's got to happen. He says, and he concludes here in verse 14, he says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, let me ask you something. How important was it to God that they were circumcised? I would say that it's more than what I would consider importance. It was essential. I mean, I would literally raise it to that level. Like, you either are, and you're part of the covenant, or you're not, and you're cut off from the covenant. But that's exactly, I mean, it's as black and white that God can make it uh, for these people. And do you think they took it serious? Oh, absolutely. I mean, thousands of years, you're talking about from Genesis right here, in early genesis all the way through the time of christ which was you know many 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 years they still were passing this down from generation to generation to generation this is what you do how ingrained do you think that was to those people how important that was to those people because it was a sign that god of that covenant that god made it with abraham this is this was passed down Over and over and over. Now I gotta go and look for this, so you have to be patient with me for a second here, but we're gonna go to Colossians if you wanna turn there. I kinda uh, thought this through on my way to the pulpit, can you tell? So let's just pick up. Uh. Okay. All of this is really good, but I'm just going to have us pick up here um, verse 9 of chapter 2, Colossians 2, 9. And before I say this, this might help a little bit too. So like Jesus comes, he dies for us. Uh, it's, It's not that God did away with this covenant with Abraham. We know that when God took him outside to look at the stars in the sky and this is going to be your offspring, we knew that that was going to, remember what was the, he, the promise that we read in Second Corinthians? All of his promises were made, yes, in Jesus, right? You remember that? And, and that's true to that promise even, that covenant that he was making when he says all of the stars in the sky, that's going to be your offspring. He knew that that was going to actually be fulfilled, that he was going to be able to accomplish that through Jesus, right? Because we're all heirs of that promise. We're all heirs of Abraham, the Bible tells us in the New Testament. So setting all that up, just, and and maybe this will help too. So Jesus comes, um, he establishes his church, and these churches are being put together and and some of them were made of Jews and Gentiles. Actually, all of them were made of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, how do you think that those Bible studies went when they talked about circumcision? <laughs> I guarantee the Jews were like, you've got to be circumcised. And the Gentiles were like, I'm not having nothing of that. Uh, I, just need to be, I just need to have Jesus. You know, We're fixing to get into that. But and so, Paul, a lot of his writings in the New Testament, if you read through that, he's dealing with this conflict that is going on, this major conflict that is going on with the churches because there's all this arguing about how you are actually right in God, like how you ha- are part of this covenant that God made with Abraham. So, hopefully, this will make sense then with all that. So, verse 9, it says, For in him, talking about in Jesus, right? In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Well, that's confusing, isn't it? In him, in Jesus, right? Because that's who the hymn is talking about all the way through this. In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, I want you just to think about this for a second. He's telling these people, these Jews and the Gentiles, And they were always arguing about this. And in every church he went to, same arguments. But this is what he's telling them. In Jesus, you were circumcised. But not a circumcision done with hands. But a a circumcision that was done through Christ. When, when, When did that happen? When you were baptized into Christ Jesus. Let's just go back for just a second. How important to God, not to us, because I don't care about what man thinks. I just care about what God thinks, and that's what we all should care about, right? How important to God was circumcision back in Genesis 17? If if, If somebody doesn't want to do it, Abraham, then they're cut off from this covenant that I'm making with you. Because this is the sealing of the covenant, circumcision ceiling. sealing. How important did they take that for thousands of years, right? They passed this down, you are going to do this. Because this is, like we already raised it up, right, to essential. This is essential in order for you. You can't just say, well, you know what, I don't really feel like it. I think that looks like that would just be painful or whatever. No excuses is a good excuse in this. Because all that matters is what God says, and God makes it black and white. And When Jesus comes in the new covenant, isn't that what we call it? The new covenant, I, I don't know, maybe we ought to call it the extended covenant. But when Jesus comes, which is where we become heirs of Abraham, he still expects all of us to be circumcised. The only thing awesome about this, this new arrangement is that now it's not just men who go through this, it's all of us. He expects all of us to be baptized. How important do you think that is to him? I think it's important. I think we ought to raise it to essential, is what I think. But what's really cool about it is that that's our, that's our assurance, Right? Aren't we, and that's what led us into this conversation, and I just wanted to help you with this a little bit, because I think we're all like Abraham, and we're just like, that sounds so awesome, how can I know that what you're saying is true? And God says, well, I'll make a covenant with you. Who was the sacrifice? Back in the Old Testament, you had these heifers that were cut in two, these these goats that were cut in two, and and on and on and on. But who was our sacrifice? It was Jesus. And it's in him that we seal it by being circumcised, not of hands, not with a circumcision of hands, but a circumcision of Christ when we were buried in Christ in baptism. And so it's so important for us to understand that that's what he's asked us to do. And, if we, and I, I'm pretty certain that most everybody here has done that, if, if, if not all of us here have done that. But that's why you do that, is because it gives you assurance. It's, it's the place that God seals his covenant. It's got to do with God keeping his word, is what it's got to do with. You know, in a marriage... You are making these promises with one and the other, and it's you making a covenant, you keeping your word and, and this person keeping their word, and it was meant for life. In our uniting in Christ, as in Romans 6 talks about, it is, it is we are buried with him. It is, it is us being united in Christ, right? The Lord talks about that in Romans 6. In baptism, the whole chapter is about that. And it is God keeping his word that he is going to do what he says, that he's going to save us through Christ. Our job, Abraham had a part to play, right? God says, well, I will do this, you do this, let's seal this thing with circumcision. That's, if you go back and read Genesis uh, 17, that's what you get, is that back and forth. Our job God says, if you're baptized into Christ, I will keep my word and save you. Our part is to do what? Is to be faithful. It's just to be faithful. It's not to be perfect. That's one thing that I kind of appreciate about Abraham. It's not a perfectness about, you know, he had this little crazy episode with his his, uh, servant, concubine lady or whatever, because he just didn't know. I mean, it's 25 years, God. I'm still not having a child here. Um, uh, and he had some other crazy things with, you know, Sarah, tell him that, it's, uh, that you're my sister <laughs> or whatever. But, uh, but he was faithful. And he is known as the father of faith for a reason. And we should be encouraged by that. And we should be, want to be like that. God will bless us and God will keep his covenant with us let me pray father God we thank you so much for the faith of Abraham and for teaching us what it means to be faithful for a lifetime father we thank you so much that you are a God of your word that you are actually the perfect example of faithfulness because you have never done anything to break your word You've always shown in everybody's relationship, every relationship that we've ever been able to witness through your word or even in life, that you've always shown yourself to be faithful. Father, we thank you that we have this covenant, this opportunity to to seal this covenant with you through baptism. We appreciate, Lord, this all that we have because of what you have done on our behalf. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.